Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. You are listening to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 36. Just a reminder, you can find my shows and notes at callthatgirl.biz slash office365 or callthatgirl.podbean.com. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash callthatgirl. Now this show is about Microsoft Outlook and Office 365, Microsoft Exchange Migrations, and other technically entertaining stories I can share from my past week or so of work. Just remember, if you need help with uh, learning Office 365, I am available for hire by the hour or project. And I also give tech discounts. You can email me, lisa at callthatgirl.biz. And as usual, before we get going, I'd like to take a moment to thank our show sponsor, AppRiver, email and web security specialists. AppRiver offers phenomenal Office 365 sales and support, and they've been my preferred vendor for all my clients for almost three years, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. If you've listened to my past shows, you've probably heard me speak about them often, and to set up a time to talk to my personal sales rep, Steve Harris, you can email him at sharris at appriver.com. All right, gang, this week it's just me, no guest. Today's date is January 31st, 2016, end of books, end of month. Hope you guys all had great sales. To me, January was kind of an interesting month because I kicked off with that crazy, insane first day of New Year. I think, I'd, I think I told you guys I had 25 requests on the first day on whatever it was, January 4th. And, you know, the first half of the month just kicked butt. And then all of a sudden comes the slowdown. And if any of you have owned businesses long enough, I believe this is kind of a tech uh, commonality, especially if you own your own business. You know, once or twice a year at least, sometimes even three times a year, you might come across a slowdown. And I started noticing this the first year, actually, I got in business. What would happen is the first week, eh, you don't really notice it's going to be slow, but, you know, you're, you kind of like can smell it a little. And the second week, it actually, you're like, okay, it is a lot slower than normal. Then the third week, you're absolutely dead, and you're kind of panicking, like, oh, my God, do I have to go get a job? I mean, you had almost no calls, maybe. The appointment sucked. It was just a horrible week. But then the next week, everything comes back to normal. And this has happened to me since 2008. And in the first few years, I kind of used to panic. <laughs> Because money wasn't so good then, you know, and and you're wondering if this is going to happen all the time. But it does happen once or twice a year. I call it the three-week slowdown. But then as you become a little more successful with business, once you have the three-week slowdown, you actually get smarter about it. You don't recognize it as much, and you have money banked up to prepare for that slow week, that third one. So when you do have it, you're not like, you know, panicking. You actually put your time to useful things like marketing projects or business reorgs or new structures, sales funnels, whatever. And, and you don't panic because you know it's going to come back. Well, for me, I actually this time I had a backwards slowdown, which I can't believe I caught it. Um, first two weeks of the month absolutely made all my numbers, I think. That's when I was like, yeah, sweet, this is a great month. Well, last week I had, and I think I talked about it, um, 
I didn't have the greatest sales week, but I stayed busy enough. But the last three days, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I actually had almost no appointments. And it was almost just refreshing because I've worked so hard from December through the first half of January, just killing it. I mean, working every weekend and I had a lot of stuff going on for side projects that I just enjoyed the three days to relax and kind of recoup my thoughts. And I'm working with my business coach, so I've got a lot of homework. I mean, I tell you, having a business coach is like going to get your another college degree. It's very intense with the work they give you, which is all important, you know, for the cause. But uh, so anyway, this week would be the second week of the slowdown. And it was like almost like how it used to be busy a couple of years ago, like it was normal. So I'm kind of figuring either next week is going to be completely dead or back to kind of how it used to be in the third in the first week back in the old slowdown days because I've already got a lot of appointments on the books and I've got some good migration sales coming and I don't know I'm not really stressing about it but I just want to talk to those that are kind of just starting out to expect this slowdown and those that already <laughs> in business you recognize a slowdown so don't panic it'll pass and as long as you keep your head up and don't get depressed about it, you can usually make it through. It uh, can get scary, but I noticed it. And I'm just glad it was the end of the month instead of the beginning because there's nothing worse than starting your month with no sales, and that really kind of bums me out, I have to admit. It isn't good, but... Oh, okay, sorry. So anyway, this week, uh, there was no like, you know, serious, uh, typical outlook problems that came up, but I did have the little wonderful clutter come back to my life, which I'm sure if you folks do, uh, outlook support for your clients, they've probably called you. Um, clutter, uh, is a new feature of Microsoft exchange. I believe, uh, I haven't seen it on anything else, ex but exchange. But anyway, it's kind of like the Google labels and, you know, the special promotion area. Um, clutter just got added to your Outlook all of a sudden and you start finding emails in there. Well, what happened is they launched this a while back. People didn't like it, so I put out this video on how to shut it off. And then all of a sudden, it must have came back to life again for new people because I started getting calls about it and read about it on the tech forums and people are starting to see it. So I'm going to put a link in my video or a link to my video in my show notes of how to disable it from the OWA and then how to, you know, you can just delete it out of Outlook, but if you delete it out of Outlook, it's still there. <laughs> so you actually have to go change the settings and then it should go away. But um, I'll talk about this later, but I actually had a client who wants clutter and wants to try to train it. And she asked me like, how do I train it? Cause I like it. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Everybody I know doesn't want clutter because we use it on our smartphone or we use exchange on our smartphones. And if you use clutter uh, and, and, e and email is being collected in clutter, you don't see it on your iPhone. And that's the biggest problem is people are like, I'm missing mail. It'll pop in my phone that disappears. Well, because it's going in the clutter server little folder. So anyway, there is going to be a video in there. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, and it's basically in the OWA options area. Just go into the clutter uh, little tab and you just shut it off. But uh, some people want to see the pictures and all the pretty stuff. Also this week, I hired an answering service finally. And that is so far working phenomenal. 
Um, we, we tested it on Monday. Eh, it wasn't up to par, but then on Tuesday we had it going. And I haven't had to answer my phone all week. It's very strange because it's been a while since I've had that <laughs> beautiful no answering the phone. But the reason why I got the answering service was because, um, you know, if I was the only one doing the phones and I'd be on an appointment, I'd get a call while I was on a call and the hearing the call come in distracts me. And sometimes I'd even have two. And of course, one was a spammer or this is Google Maps calling. <laughs> and I get that all the time. And I also get the guy, <laughs> stop what you're doing. This is super important. <laughs> that guy calls me about once a day. And uh, he's, he's like scares me into listening because it's funny. But uh, the answering service should be evaluated for me. I, with my business coach, I'm trying to you know figure out things to do to get out of day-to-day -day stuff so I can focus on being the top surgeon of the company, which is, you know, I think as business owners, we have to think about eventually we want to grow out of where we're at. And how do you do it? You have to outsource and start, you know, giving some of the work away that that doesn't affect your business, but can only help you grow. And with that, I'm still playing around with a few other things. I need to hire um, kind of a graphics guy or graphics person, woman, whatever. Uh, I need some marketing help and I need a virtual assistant. And, you know, just by listening to me say those things, those are all administrative duties that help the business keep running. And I can train one person and keep it all flowing where I can work on the things I love doing, which is blogging about my fixes and actually doing the fixing. And those are the, really the two things I love the most, you know. So I'll report back as I hire more people for those positions. But, um, uh, it's, I think it's important for me to stop doing everything because that's how you work 24 hours a day, right? I don't want to do that all my life. All right, I'll jump in and start telling you folks about some um, some things I had this week. I had a client that uh, I haven't talked to him in a couple years, and it's been a little, you know, I don't know. I think the last time I helped him, it was like a four-hour huge surgery outlook job. And he emails me and said, uh, hey, I need your help again. My email's actually not opening at all. And that to me is a 911. So I try to get to them as soon as possible. And I said, okay, well, look, I can actually text it in, which number one is the first process I don't like is texting people. But his email was down. I said, okay, well, I can help you tomorrow at whatever time. Let's say it was 1 o'clock. And I didn't get a client agreement form. And I didn't get a credit card because he's a past client and I trusted him again and I call at one o'clock and he says, Oh yeah, I fixed it all. So thank you anyway. And the whole time I'm just like so disappointed in myself again. How many times have I told you guys I do this? I trust still and I lost a billable hour and I'm like, you know what? That to me, I mean, I know his email was down. I should have called him, got his credit card, told him I have, you know, I, instead of, as I knew he couldn't get into his email, I should have still done the right thing and did everything without the email, called him, got his credit card, you know, took the extra steps. He could have still done my client agreement for him. I could have walked him through it and build the, uh, the appointment appropriately. And then, you know, instead of him telling me right at one o'clock, I fixed it. He would have gave me notice and said, I don't need the appointment because his credit card would have been there and he would have known he would have been billed. 
oh, I just, I, I get so frustrated that I still have to, you know, learn each time that I can't trust people. And I did say to him at the end, well, hey, you know what? Uh, next time, if you could give me some more notice, that would have been great because I lost a billable hour. <laughs> I actually told him that because I did. He goes, oh, yeah, that's too bad. Well, I'll call you next time. And I was like, yeah, that's too bad. Next time you are going to get, you know, uh, everything done for sure. And I just talked about this, what, two shows ago, how I trusted past clients. And it's kind of like, you know what? When you have the past client trust, yeah, they want to call you, but they have to get used to your new processes and you have to just make sure you implement them because I'm bad at it <laughs> and I keep trying. But I had another client that uh, I've had since, oh man, I know for sure I've had them since I pretty much started. I mean, the first year out maybe. And they were from the old school where I actually had a 15-minute billable minimum. I think it was 29 bucks. I mean, we're going back to where I just remoted in, fixed something quick, and billed them $29. Then as business grew, I changed that. And so him and his um, business partner, sometimes they call in with these quick things. Now, they used to buy prepaid tickets. And then I think they closed the business so they didn't feel they needed that to, to invest in a prepay anymore. So when the partner would call in, it was like just simple eight-minute jobs. And I, I changed it from... 39 to 49, you know, because my minimum is $49 now. And um, they called in with an issue that would have had to go to my uh, tech partners. And I said, well, here's what we have. So here's where I did something appropriate, okay? I said, I don't do those fixes anymore for under, you know, our service plan. That's all I have is a service plan. That's $240 a year. If you don't want the service plan, you could buy a prepaid ticket, and then you're allowed to use my tech partners off that ticket. So remember, my two game plans for this year is either prepay or service plan. You know, that's the choice. And they said, well, you know what? We don't see the point of having all that cash not being available for us, so we're just going to not do either. I was like, oh, okay, well then. That, that kind of, you know, stings a little bit when you're trying to think about how to keep clients happy but yet build your business and follow your new model that you have, which is the easy way to manage stuff. And, you know, and I thought about it and I said, okay, so instead of being frustrated that I lost a client, I wrote back and said everything I should have. I said, in the past, I've helped you for the quick 15-minute calls. I no longer do that unless you have a prepaid ticket. So the last two that you guys called in on I only billed you $39 because one was literally a two-minute fix, and I, back last year, felt guilt. And the other one was $49. I no longer have that, so now I have $139 minimum, so that would have been $278. So just to let you know that I'm no longer going to offer that, so next time you call in, it'll be one hour, no matter how long it takes, and otherwise you can do the service plan. And they said, thanks, and talk to you later. <laughs> And that's how it can go sometimes. Not all your clients want to follow your new model, and it's nothing personal. It's business. And I'm I am learning slowly to keep following my model because this has to work for me because this is how I simplify things to make it so I can grow and get out of, you know, the model I don't want to be in anymore. Anyway, it was kind of, you know, it was a tough battle to chew, but, I mean, I just felt like, look, I, I do have new rules, and people got to follow them. And then I have a similar kind of request from another uh, client that called in. 
And uh, he his appointment turned into a two-part, but it was about an hour. And because, you know, I sometimes with my two-parts, let's just put it this way, I rolled it into an hour. I told the client, okay, so it's going to be one-hour billable, and moving forward, I'm going to start another bill. And everything was hunky-dory. I had the outlook fine-tuned. Everything was wrong. And he called back in and said, I have another question and got my service. So I was like, okay, now what is going on? I call him back. He goes, yeah, there's just one last thing with my contacts. Okay, so now what do you do in this kind of situation? I should have said, I need to get your credit card. But no, what did I do? I felt guilty and I let him have that one last question. And then not only that, he started milking me for more time. And I don't say it negatively, but because I was on the call, it turned into a couple questions. Then, then it was just kind of like random stuff. And I said, okay, we're good to go now. And then came the third email. Um, I found something else now. And I said, okay, well, at this point I was smart and said, we have to book an appointment. You have to follow my online scheduler and I'm going to bill you for another hour. And it's an hour, you know, and, and he's like, yep, that's fine. And, and if I would have done that from the get go, you know, and the thing is you try to learn, like, you know, he's a business client, so he's not doing anything intentional. It's just me putting it out there. You know, I let that one last question go tuned in another one. Then he emailed the third and I'm like, it's now an appointment. And this is kind of, you know, the, the relationship stuff. I, he used to have a prepaid ticket and oh, I just wish I could have them all on prepays because I don't mind answering a free question quick. And, and every time you don't bill for your knowledge or your advice or your fixing, you are losing money. And, you know, it comes down to it. We're businesses and, you know, plumbers don't come out and give you free advice and not bill you. You know, that's all service people. They don't do that. So I'm trying to, I'm really struggling, but I'm trying hard to make this, but I have a feeling I'm going to be dealing with this forever. <laughs> I just think so. It just seems like I always have something interesting happen. I had another client that I've kind of learned from also is um, we spent probably 20 minutes trying to pl play around with the passwords. And no matter what you tell people to prepare for an appointment, make sure all your passwords work. You are never going to have that happen successfully because people don't know the login pages to everything. And John Wright and I last week talked about it, which is kind of jokingly, is that there's so many different Microsoft password things now that you need that no one ever remembers. Like number one is your computer with Windows 8 or 10 has a Microsoft account, right? So that's a password. Then you've got your Microsoft store where you brought your products. That's a password. Then you actually have your exchange account or your email account passwords, and just all the random things. Half the, half my clients have a Gmail account, an iCloud account, and so the password game, you can say to them, please have your passwords ready, but they don't know where to go test them. So anyway, I just told this client, okay, look, uh, we were 20 minutes in, and it was not frustrating at all to either one of us, but I said, look, we have to reschedule because I just... I'd really rather you know this password for sure. And we spent a lot of time on one of them. I did tell him how to do it, and we got off the phone. I closed the call. Because to me, I just don't want to charge someone for an hour of trying to find a password, and that just seems silly. So I did give him the link and made him do it himself. 
And uh, there's nothing magical about the two-step authentication anymore. Remembering, you know, remembering the secret code questions and all that stuff. And, you know, it wasn't like it was, uh, it was a new computer setup. So it wasn't like it was dire. I've helped people in dire situations. And that password is just, am I saying this right? The bane of my existence. It's just like I have password dramas all the time with all the stuff I do. Ugh. Anyway, uh, that's just maybe a tip for you folks is to ask people how the password's ready, but it may not matter. Then I had a client that, which I think I talked about last week, was the OneDrive that had 2.7 terabytes in it. And, and this was a client that had the perfect Office 365 on the cloud migration. I used migration Wiz. It was so awesome. And I helped them. And I'm in her computer, and I see the 2.7 terabytes in the old OneDrive, which is pre-SkyDrive even. And she said, Lisa, let's try to get it downloaded and off the cloud. And I was like, okay, I can try. So I log in on my computer because my computer has like 1.3 terabytes open. And I know I could probably get over to an external, upload what I could to her new OneDrive because obviously 2.7 terabytes isn't going to happen. But here's the problem is I started getting into these folders and the folders, because some of them had like 15 gigs of data and some had like, you know, just different, different sizes. It, here's what happens when you go to try to download it. You can select the folders and then once it's capped off at four gigs, the download button actually disappears. So then you have to go play the science game, which folder has more data. And then you, I have to write down all the folders. And I did about... I don't know, seven folders that were successful and I skipped about 10 of them because they had monstrous amounts of email or data. And then I learned, I was like, you know what? This project is not going to go well because one of the, one of the folders that had a lot of data in it actually had so many subfolders that had lots of data and those had subfolders that had lots of data. And I just said, this project has to be done somehow else because I can't do it. It would take me hours and hours and hours and a spreadsheet and everything else. And so, hey, if anybody out there has an idea how I can get all this off one cloud to another, I've never done a one cloud migration to another one. I already know that the one cloud is going to be, uh, the 2.7 terabytes is not going to be happening. But there might be other options, and I'm asking you if you know. All right, and then let's see what else I had uh, this week. I had a, a client call in. Uh, interestingly, they're on Pop, and they want to go to Google Apps, and their people use Outlook. And I, so I did my, my free advice consult and said, well, normally I don't do... Microsoft to Google. I usually do Google to Microsoft. If you're using Outlook, I don't know why you'd want to use Google Apps. And the guy said, well, one of our top people loves Google. And uh, I was like, okay, well, it should be a team decision in my opinion, but whatever. And, and here's what he said. It kind of cracks me up. <laughs> you guys get this too sometimes, I'm sure. Uh, he said, well, how about if you do this? Why don't you just show me how to move all the mail to Google Apps, and I'll just do the rest of them for other people. And I said, you know what? I go, that it just doesn't work that way. I don't train people how to fix Outlook or do migrations. I just do the work. And he was like, that would be just kind of nice for I could just do it on my own time. I go, 
no, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry, sir. And I said, it's too challenging and Google apps is not, you know, something easy to learn. And I said, I, I mean, I, here's what I offered him. I said, we could, we could schedule an hour per person and let me get the email migrated over. And he, and so it'd be about 556 bucks, you know? And he said, yeah, I don't think the boss is going to want to invest that much money. I go, well, then you cannot have a migration done the right way, which to me, it's actually an opposite migration. <laughs> but since I'm not migrating to Google apps itself, I just need to, uh, I actually think that they had it set up already. Uh, just they were missing all their other data on the Google apps. That was the situation. But I said, it's at least an hour a person, if not more, because I don't even know what I'm dealing with. I mean, somebody might have 15 gigs in that pop account that they want up on the Google apps and who knows. And I, plus I didn't install the sync tools. Remember Google apps uses a sync tool in Outlook to make that thing hum. And I don't know, that was actually probably a, very generous four-hour quote. <laughs> now I think about it, it probably would have been double or triple. Yeah, well, anyway, oh, let's see what other my stories are this week. Done and done. Um, all right, so next up here, guys, I'm going to talk about, and gals, uh, since this week I noticed was a little slow and I'm working with Business Coach, I've decided to fine-tune up some marketing. It's always a good time when it's slow. You know what I realized I was getting lazy, and I've actually said this before, is you kind of get to rely on the marketing that works, and, and if you don't watch it and at least kind of prune it or keep up with it, it can go away one day, and then you're like noticing business is always slow, and you gotta, you got to pay attention to your marketing and advertising. And for those that don't know the difference, is uh, marketing is something you do today that has long-term results that continues on, Advertising is more like in your face and it can be forgotten about quickly. Advertising is like TV. Um, and of course, TV could be marketing also if it, they have consistent commercials. Like, you know, how your cable provider pumps in their own commercials about, you know, I mean, I have Cox. And I see Cox commercials every day and I'm like, they're marketing to me and I already have them. It makes, like, seems like a waste, but, but anyway... The consistency of the TV commercials is the long-term marketing effect. But if you only, if you're going to do a TV ad and you only pay for like one spot, that's just advertising. It's a one-time thing. And, it's, and same with print ads and uh, like those, you know, the things that people throw away. I mean, they have to see it once. Menus, you know, the ads on menus, stuff like that. But but the marketing plans I talk about are things that have some lasting appeal to them. Like I've built relationships on LinkedIn that are long-term, you know, things, uh, referral partners and all that stuff. And that's when, you know, things are slow is when you need to pull out that marketing plan and be like, what am I doing that's working? What am I doing that did used to work? And how can you revamp it to maybe work again? And right now I'm kind of going through that because I'm kind of reliving, what did I do eight years ago? No, I don't want to do that. Well, I have to change it now because times are different. Eight years ago, I used to go to uh, personal networking events. I mean, I touted that for years. But then social media got so popular and people don't want to go to a networking event. They want to join an online group. You know, now they're like, ah, why go out? And I can just chat with people online and sit in my pajamas and network and drink my own beer. You know, we're becoming a society of people that don't want to get out, but they still want to connect because 
personal connections is still the best marketing ever, right? That's right. So anyway, I've been kind of playing around with some old stuff and I'm thinking about doing some webinars again. And, and um, I know that you guys have put out some interest in learning more about Office 365 in a training module. And I think um, I can probably come up with something for a technician to, uh, I know some techs have said, look, Lisa, we want to know how to be able to either teach it to our people or be able to sell it. And because I do it every day, you know, I can make a, you know, have a webinar for that. And um, my last attempt at webinars didn't work out too hot, but I think um, I was, uh, I did it wrong. Let's <laughs> put it that way. This time I'd hopefully do it right. Anyway, um, let's see what else I have here. I'm going to do a little segment, you guys, which I think is, um, well, for me, it's a memory lane thing. But for those that have been in computers a really long time, I mean, we're talking 20 years or so, you're going to understand these stories. So this little segment I'm going to discuss every week is called I Need a Moment. And it's going to be about me reliving a uh, computer experience. And we're going to start from the beginning all the way to today. So we're looking at a lot of segments. Because I've been doing computers since I was 13. Or doing computers. Been working with the computers. And uh, I was like, when I was like going, it'd be kind of fun to kind of relive all the memories. Because there's so many cool things that I've watched. And for those that are younger, you maybe get to learn a little bit about what used to happen. So we're going to start right now. Um, first time I ever worked on a real computer, I was 13 years old. I went to Kellogg Junior High School in Rochester, Minnesota, and I think it was 1981. And I remember that we had uh, a class, and part of the class was that we had to go down to one of the computers and play this game called Oregon Trail. And if any of you remember <laughs> Oregon Trail, if I remember, it had uh, the screen we had was orange. And it actually, I, I don't even remember if there's graphics or not. So if anybody remembers, but it was kind of like, um, I think it was called like the, the mud games or something where it was just a game and you had to, you know, you can only use your keyboard and, and you had to pick choices to get along the trail. And I, I don't remember it very well. And I'm sure other people do because I, I just remember playing it during this one class. And then if the computer was open, you could come play it if no one else was using it. And I don't remember doing anything else on the computers at that age. And then I remember taking like um, a break and I moved schools. And the next school I went to was in a very small town. And uh, they actually had three three teachers that got into the Macintosh movement, and that was in 82 or 3, I think. And they uh, were buying Macintoshes because they were all like nerds. <laughs> and I remember the first actually technology class, which this shouldn't even be considered technology, was typing. And I loved typing class because I mean, it was the old school clunky keyboards too. It or, um, Yeah, it wasn't like the electronic ones because they first start you out on the old school ones that were manual. Then I took what was called steno class. And steno class, uh, if anybody's never heard of stenography, it's a shortcut way to write. So you can uh, listen to someone talk and actually document it like with your own hand really fast. 
And Steno had some really cool, neat little tricks to it that I do not remember to this day, but I know a lot of people that did take Steno that do remember it. But uh, after Steno, then we had to do electronic typing class. Then you got to use the the, the electronic uh, typewriters that actually we loved because we were just kicking ass on that because at that point, you know how to type. And that was like in my junior high years, you know, learning uh, the, the manual typewriter, Steno, and then electric, and then we got the Max, and we took what was called word processing class. And after that, let me tell you, there's a huge difference. And I remember uh, we had like a, um, a type-off, and I actually typed 110 words a minute with less than three errors. And that was like in ninth or 10th grade. And uh, it was basically just, <laughs> I remember a tiny little screen, and we just had the typewriter, and he just typed and there was very little formatting you could do, but there were some things we could do back then. And uh, I remember it was called work, Word Documenting Class or Word Processing. That's what that was called. And then another class I took in high school was on the Mac, and I think it was called Programming. I'm trying to remember. I think it was called Programming. And this class, um, because I'm not a programmer, I don't understand code, and the teacher was one of the three Macintosh teachers that loved all these Macs, and I literally, the only thing I remember learning in that class was how to copy a disc with other people's work and call it my own. I was a thief. I admit it. And you know what? I wasn't the only thief because there was always like two nerds in the class that knew how to program to make that tree. It was always a tree or something easy, right? How do you code to make the tree happen? And then other people were like, well, let me copy your code because we couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I failed at programming, and I learned that right away in life. But uh, And then in high school, I don't really recall anything else I did on a computer but those things. And this was in the 80s. And I graduated uh, high school at 87. So it was, uh, you know, like I said, this was back, I mean, I wasn't in business classes or anything like that. Then in 87, um, I think I was actually in 88. I got a job at the phone company and the phone company I did a, uh, I worked at a small town and we were 411 operators and I had a mainframe computer that we used. And I have to say that it was pretty nice back then. This was in 88 that we actually had a desk that could stand up or sit down because if you're doing an operator job, you work for the phone company, you're in a union and the union took care of their people, you know, so they were not going to let little things like carpal tunnel or, you know, where you couldn't get good blood circulation happen. We had awesome chairs, nice desks, you know, they, they were up and down and the monitors were actually quite big for that time. I think they, we had an old um, mainframe that we had to use and our search words. It's like when people call and would say 411, this is Lisa. Uh, they'd say, yeah, give me the number for, you know, whatever in Minneapolis because I covered the 612 area code back then. And basically we just searched it and just told the people the phone number right there. Or we hit a button and it would send them off to the electronic lady saying the phone number. And, um, you know, it was a pretty cool system. It was a very electric. I mean, everything was all done on the computer and we had headsets and, and it was, you know, like real nice, you know, equipment. And I did that job from 87, no, sorry, 88 to 1995. 
And that was actually a long time. It was a year out of his high school up until 95. And I think we're going to stop the story there because the next show I have, we'll talk about how uh, I played with AOL chat and got into email. And this is, this is what kind of sparked the whole story ideas because I remember the first thing I got into computers was about excited about email. <laughs> so we will start next show with that. Uh, time frame, which would be, I think, 1992 or three with AOL chat. So we will catch up with them. All right. So the topic of the week here, I don't have a lot to talk about on this topic, but just a few things that I do want to discuss is um, Microsoft Clutter and other exchange oddities. So even though you're using Outlook and the OWA feature, there's still some things that exchange can do that you should just be aware of. So again, we're going to recap the clutter feature. And Clutter is um, the new feature that Microsoft added that puts mail into it. And they decide the email that they think is Clutter. And sometimes it's real business you need. So you have to go look in Clutter and take it out. And if you disable Clutter, then it all goes to your inbox. And just remember the key factor here is that some emails you need are going into Clutter and they're not showing up on your devices or phones. Okay? That video will be in the show notes. Uh, when you also set up Exchange in Outlook, you also want to make sure that you go to the account settings and double-click the Exchange account and go change the settings from 12 months to 24 months. If you don't, then your search is not going to be accurate. And, excuse me, uh, this is one of the big common problems people have is they're like, yeah, all my email doesn't show up because the settings are default to 12 months. So you need to go in there and change it to all and they will show up. But just remember that after you do that, you have to close Outlook and indexing starts over. And indexing is a popular topic as well this week. I should have talked about it a little bit, but um, if your indexing is uh, high in Outlook, you have to let it run down to zero. It's kind of like draining a battery. You have to let it get to zero for it to work 100%. So um, if you go clear the indexing, you're going to see that 60,000 items up to, I've seen 100 1,000 items common, up to 500,000 items if there's a heavy load of email, especially on IMAP. I could talk about indexing later in, in um, another show. But anyway, also uh, with Exchange, your folders can sometimes go crazy. And normally what I tell people is just close your Outlook and uh, let it kind of straighten itself out with a refresh to the server. Uh, it doesn't go crazy often, but sometimes it does, and I just tell people, it's okay on the server because we can go log into the online version to see it, but Outlook just kind of gets a little funky. So it'll sort itself out. And sometimes Exchange doesn't update by itself. So if you're looking at your email, a client will call me and say that. They're like, well, my email hasn't been working since yesterday. I will save them right back. Close Outlook, reboot, and it usually connects to the server. There's something glitchy that happened. You had a network bump. And Outlook just kind of got off track, and it'll fix itself. And uh, we did talk about this last week with John on the show, that password resets are now available to be forever. Don't require me to change a password. So make sure you log into your admin control panel and change that on the server side for the whole domain if they don't want to change them ever. Some companies still like people to change it when they can't. And uh, – or or not when they can, but based on when they want it to be. 
And also, uh, just keep in mind that Outlook 2016 is still causing people a lot of problems with the Outlook Outlook cannot log on message. And it comes down to a few things. Um, I found that when you hook up Exchange uh, in, a, in a profile, it sometimes makes two OST files. One OST file is like 16,000K, which that's the bad one. The other one is like the full size of the Exchange mailbox, and you want to keep that one. Um, if you're having these problems, you probably just want to cut them out of the app's data excuse me, app data folder and let a fresh download come. You also might need to turn off the cache mode if that's having a problem. And if the cache mode doesn't help and the deleting of the OST files, I hate to tell you, sometimes you have to delete the whole profile and all the other profiles in Outlook. Outlook 2016 is a snaggy doodle dandy, folks. And I'm talking, if you've got multiple profiles in there, you could try just deleting the one you just made, but I've actually had to remove all of them before. It's that delicate, okay? So those are the key things I found with Outlook 2016 is turning off the cache, deleting the old OST files. It does create a secondary one that's corrupted, and then if Worst case scenario, remove all the profiles and start over. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my world. I deal with this a lot now, guys. Alrighty. I think that's it, gang. That's my list, and there's nothing else to it. Uh, I don't have a guest to thank this week, so I'm just going to thank myself and thank Mitch Heyman, my uh, supported audio engineer here. And I also want to thank App River for being our awesome sponsors. And Podbean for hosting this uh, wonderful podcast for you all. If you have a story you want to share or you want to be a guest on the show, you can email me, Lisa, at callthatgirl.biz. And remember, the link is callthatgirl.biz slash office365. If you want to check out my ebooks, I've got six available. And you can go to callthatgirl.biz slash publications. And if you want to hire me, you can feel free to call me and leave a message on my service. Tell me what you think of them. You can also follow me on social media. There's some links in the uh, on the on the call that girl Podbean, my Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn are there. And folks, that is it. Thank you for listening, and see you next show.